A reading from the Gospel of Luke. At that very hour, some Pharisees came and said to him, Get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you. He said to them, Go and tell that fox for me, Listen, I am casting out demons and performing cures today and tomorrow, and on the third day I will finish my work. Yet today, tomorrow, and the next day I must be on my way, because it is impossible for a prophet to be killed outside of Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often have I desired to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. See, your house is left to you. And I tell you, you will not see me until the time comes when you say, Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. The word of God for the world. I pray today, as we enter this conversational sermon, that this truly will be a voice of the people. For those of you, I see some new faces. What we do in this time is I have prepared, I've tried not to over-prepare as I usually do, but to create space for you to engage the text and where God's spirit is moving you. And so we'll open with some questions in a minute. And Michael will go around with the microphone and allow you to speak your truth, where you see God even in this moment and in this text. Okay? Is that an agreement? I see some smiles and and pensive faces. We're in Luke's Gospel, which is where we will be for the journey of Lent. And this is truly a gospel for us to talk about. We have to know sort of where, where we're entering. We need to know a little bit of the background. And of all the gospels, Luke's gospel speaks to those on the margins. For better or for worse, whether we like it or not, he comes to those who have been battered and scattered. I love it what one person said. He comes, this is the gospel that talks about the prodigal son who has lavish compassion and grace on someone who has completely abused his good graces. That this is about the story of the good Samaritan where he says the only good Samaritan was a dead Samaritan. But he's lifted up as someone who shows mercy. Not the one that was supposed to, the the Levite or the priest who passed by. But it's the ones on the edges that we have to pay attention. And it's Luke's gospel who starts, who was the first that was proclaimed the announcement of the good news? It was to the shepherds. And we always sort of perceive, maybe because of manger scenes, that shepherds were kind and humble and loving Meek and mild. But no, shepherds were seen as dishonest. Rough around the edges. For sure on the margins. And Jesus' birth is proclaimed to them first. What do you do with this gospel? Well, a lot of people didn't know what to do. And it's very clear from Luke 4, the beginning of Jesus' ministry, when Jesus takes the scroll that he reads from Isaiah and he says... The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives 
and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This is the God whom we worship. The God that turns to us and says, You, the one who is on the margin, to you, the one who has been scattered and found homeless, maybe not physically, but emotionally and spiritually, to you, in, your, in the day of this hearing, the scripture is fulfilled. I want to say a quick word as we hear the Luke 13 coming alive today. That God's dream for the world, as we explored, is that all of us would feel knit together in a common humanity of compassion and love. That's God's mission, that we know whom or who we are and whose we are. And I'm going to ask you in a minute, so I want you to start thinking now. What does it mean? Yeah, Michael, go ahead and go get the microphone. I'm going to ask you in a minute. Not yet, because I want you to think about it. But as we started the Lenten journey on Ash Wednesday, when I imposed the ashes on your forehead, saying, remember who you are and remember whose you are, I want you to give a little thought of what does that even mean? Who you are. Remember who you are. So in a minute, I want... to hear your response from them. But let's go a little bit deeper into Luke. By chapter 9, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. Jesus knows that his hour is drawing nigh, that he will face death. And so, as we say, he turns his face toward Jerusalem, which is the drama of the unfolding Lenten journey that we take. Walking with Jesus. And we observe a few things about Jesus' ministry. If you notice in, in this passage, he tells them that he's been casting out demons and performing cures all along. And it happens that by chapter 13, some Pharisees come and tell him, guess what, there's this fox, Herod, who wants to kill you. And if you'll notice, what does he say after he says, I've been casting out demons and performing cures? He says, on the third day, I finish my work. Does anybody have an idea of what that means? His resurrection. So what he's saying is, today and tomorrow, I'm doing my work, his everyday work of of proclaiming the kingdom of God, that the rain has been brought in because he is healing and curing And casting out demons, speaking to the margins, and bringing them in. But not everybody feels so good about this. You know why? Because as he is heading toward Jerusalem, as he says, this is the place historically that we see in the Old Testament. What happened to prophets that were sent to Jerusalem? (laughs) Jane says they all died. The prof, well, they didn't all die, but many did. And here Jesus, it's a fascinating look 
at what Jesus, here he's been threatened. And instead of saying, you know, you're right, someone's out to get me, he decides to go deeper still. To the very place, Jerusalem, which is the seat of political power. It's like his march on Washington. As if he was going in, facing death, and having the vulnerability to say, with courage, bring it on. Bring it. I love this piece. And you know, the beautiful part about it is not only does Jesus, with courage and vulnerability, which those are two themes, say, bring it. Instead of retaliating or being vindictive, to this fox who wants to kill him, what does he say to this Jerusalem? What's his reaction? He weeps. What, Anne? I want to gather you and protect you. There's this heartbreak and lament, this weeping. It's fascinating that these people that want to reject him, kill him, and despise him, he responds not in retaliation and vengeance and power that we would perceive, which is, says a lot to our political schemes today, but how does he respond with love and compassion? Laying down his life. Okay, just a second. Okay, do you have the microphone? All right, Bill wants to say something. Okay, speak. <laughs> Speak loud, and then I, I do have... Okay. He could have burned them up instantly. He loved them. That is the whole idea. Good. If you didn't hear Bill, I'll repeat what Bill said. He said he could have burned them up instantly. He had the power, as we see, of course, in the temptations, which was the gospel text for last week. And yet... He doesn't. Of course, as we know in the prodigal son and many of the other depictions of the ultimate love, it comes and longs for us and reaches for us and pursues us time and time again. That's the gospel. All right, so here's, I'm going to break one little thing down and now we're going to open it up and I hope you will talk the rest of the time because as you can see, my voice is failing. So perfect timing. Ruth Ann Reese, a scholar from Asbury Seminary, Theological Seminary in Kentucky, she talked, there's a verb in this passage that's used three times, thalo. Thalo is Greek for want or desire or longing. If you look in chapter 13, the first person that wants or desires or longs is, does anybody see it? <laughs> it's Herod. The fox. And what does he long for or desire? He wants to kill him. Okay, so you have this juxtaposed. So keep this in mind. The fox wants to kill. And then the next use of thalo, desire or long for, is Jesus. Longing, and I'll just read it. Jerusalem, Jerusalem. How often I have desired, wanted, longed for. Gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood 
under her wings, and you were not willing. And that third piece, you were not willing, is the third use of the verb. So here's Jesus' desire to gather Jerusalem as a hen gathers her brood, and they were not willing. They rejected it. So you have murderous rage, anger, wanting to kill, Jesus wanting to love and provide shelter and compassion, and wanting to reject. So again, so here's my question, okay? This is where we're going to get real. Why would if a loving God, that the dream of this loving God, as I already stated, is to create a beloved community where love and compassion reign, to instate that you are a child of God and to show that love to others, why would they reject that? Don't we all want that? That simile? Okay, so let's start. So why, so the question is, why wouldn't they want it? That's beautiful, a hand, I love that imagery. Not to mention it's feminine, yay. Okay. We all want it, but if all of us get that, then none of us are special. Mm. And we all, we all want to have something that somebody else doesn't have. Okay, go ahead and if you give up, then you don't have the power over, and that's what everybody wants is the power, and don't want to lose it. Somebody else. I was going to try to be quiet. Doesn't work. Um, I, I, the first thing that came to my mind was fear, fear of maybe Herod, fear. But I, I think more so fear of losing who we think we are, and fear of losing the the comfortable place we're in, getting out of our comfort zone. Ooh, who wants to add to that? Okay, Deborah over here. Oh, Cat, and then Deborah. I was thinking, too, about um, pride, because when you do look in your, like, you you kind of remember who you are, you look in a mirror and you see things you don't like about yourself, you have that choice to remain yourself or to change or ask for help for change and um, to kind of give up is to kind of relinquish your, your choice to be who you want instead of who you could be. Yeah, excellent. Thank you. Well, she took what I was going to say <laughs> about pride, but I think it even goes more. So it's pride, but I think in those times, too, everybody was, this is my religion. I'm going to follow this. This is where we go, and this is out of the norm. This is someone taking us into different teachings, different uh, throwing out all the the rhetoric and, and the church and really speaking from the heart. And I think being so real and compassionate was something that could scare people also. But if the pride is, I don't need someone telling me what to do and how to live my life. Mm. Okay. 
Bill over here. <laughs> Three hours of sleep last night. The Bible says he made us all different. And there was a reason he made us different. It's so that we could get involved in this type of thing and things could be learned. Some of us will fail, some of us won't. But we're all different. That's the way that God wanted us. Jane, and then... Uh, sort of what Bill said, but um, when Elizabeth said power, nobody wanted to give up their power, I wonder if there was a discussion because I would rather have the beloved community than power. And I wonder if uh, there was uh, pulling and back there, uh -huh. back then. Uh-huh. Okay. okay, Joyce Faye. Is, is a loving God new to these folk throughout the history of the Israeli people, or the people, quote, the Jews, whatever they were called at that time, the Hebrews? Their God has been different, except in the prophets. They were beginning to hear this. But it's still something that's new. And that means, do we accept what is new? Can we accept difference from what we've learned before? And that's extremely difficult. Okay, let, let me speak on that. Um, I think all of this brings up an interesting question because we say that we want to be under that wing of a protective mother hen. But to say that, as you've all alluded to, it requires knowing who you are, that you're just a chick. You're just a chick, a beautiful one. But knowing your place. I love what one theologian said, that lizards and dogs are more faithful to their calling than humans because they know who they are. It's only humans who rebel against who we are and whose we are. I think in part that's our Lenten journey. Bill wanted to say something and then I'm going to yeah. ask one more question. I was going to say um, what's interesting is the, the Jewish religion of the day was submission with no freedom. The word of the Lord was submission with full freedom. And that's the part they couldn't reconcile. And Herb has said to me before that freedom, your quote about freedom, is only found in slavery. That freedom is only found in slavery. How's that? 
So let me ask openly. This is where it gets real. It's real easy to talk about the Jewish people, right? <laughs> real easy, those Jewish people. Okay, this is where we go deeper. Why do we resist a God who wants to cover us in her wings, to be loved and refuged? I would say it's because we haven't fully bought into who and whose we are. So I asked you at the beginning to be thinking about what does it mean when I put the sign of the cross saying, remember who you are? What does that mean? Okay, Bob? Grace. Grace. Okay. And we, we, we are so reluctant to accept grace. We've got to feel like we did something to deserve it. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Others? What does it mean? To remember who you are. Who are you? Who are you? Child of God. I don't call anything. <laughs> <laughs> who are you? It's killing me that I can't talk. You can talk. Well, <laughs> you're part of the church, the reason, too. The reason we don't go to some restaurants or the reason we don't do some things is because we don't know about it or we've heard bad things about it. And, and I believe if we really learned and understand God's character, God's uh, character of grace, God's character of acceptance, but God loves us too much to leave us where he met us, too. So there's the cost of that. And, and, and part of the gospel, the way to have power is to submit all power. The way to find yourself is to lose yourself. It's the paradox of the gospel. And so why don't we do this? It's because, I, for me, I mean, we don't really have a full sense of who God really is. Um, so and so as, as a, often I'll say as a chaplain for folks who, whose faith become shaken, I said, I'll say, I think the God that you've learned about is a God we're projecting. But I believe if we really see the God revealed in Jesus, the God revealed in the gospel, we're going to run to him like a thirsty person in a, in a desert. Terry. Are we necessarily all that different from the Jews where we may not have learned our, the lesson and we, too, are afraid to give up our comfort zone mm. and follow completely. Mm. Okay, Charles, Charles, and then Wayne. In Bible stories, we, we often ask, where do you put yourself? Where are yeah. you in the story? Yeah. And think about the Pharisees. They didn't want Jesus to go to Jerusalem. They were trying to help him. 
And his disciples didn't want him to go to Jerusalem. They wanted him to stay mm-hmm. protected in Galilee. And yes. um, so I, I want to make that, that point. And th- this Herod uh, is the one who killed John, John the, the Baptist. Baptist. And then I believe he's the one who appears later. Yes, in Luke's gospel. During the Passion, he's visiting Jerusalem for the Passover. Wayne, I don't know where it comes from. I don't know if it's ingrained Americanism. But I think a big part of it, at least for me, is it's hard, it's scary, it's uncomfortable, and I resist giving up control. No matter how big a mess life becomes for me, I somehow still think I know best or that I have the strength to do it in my own power. And I don't want to let go. Letting go of control is very, it's just very scary. It's very frightening. It's unsettling. Uh, I don't like it. And I've heard odd nauseam the last several months about individual freedoms and blah 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 and in the news and our country and and I've thought you know maybe that's part of it too I I want what I want when I want it it's ingrained in the spiritual uh, degradation of the human condition and so forth and but it comes down to me just a, a, a matter of of a control issue. I have it with other people. I think I have it with God. Mm. Thank you. Evan, and then and then Kelly, and then we're going to wrap it up for time's sake. If I think of who I am, I think now about what I find myself dependent on. Mm. And if I find myself dependent on certain rules in my life or or you know, my expectations of, uh, like Wayne said, what I can provide for myself, what I can, what I can do, what I can accomplish, or the Pharisees' rules here. That, but I, I think there's this difference of uh, when you find yourself with a dependence on your community or a, such an, a faith in God that sometimes it's hard to pin down. It's not as easy as a one plus two is three rule book. Thank you. When I think of like who do you identify with in this passage, as a chick, the hen is looking to protect her whole brood of chicks and not just one chick. And I really like to be me, like I am me, but but it requires vulnerability not only with God and that power thing, but vulnerability with the community, the greater community, that you're all willing to be chicks being protected by the hen and not just one lone chick running around by yourself. Great. Thank you. I think that's a great word to to end on, that, that relationship that calls us in this Lenten time is of dependence 
on God foremost, a dependence that recognizes who we are. As Bill said, a child of God, a chick. What does it mean to be a child? It means to be vulnerable. But here is, in great display, Jesus saying, this is what it looks like to be vulnerable. To know what is before him. And to walk toward it and not away. And so it requires dependence on God, of course. And as Kelly said, it requires dependence on each other. That we are the brood Providence, we are the Providence brood. Gail, that didn't make the the list of name titles, did it? (laughs) The Providence brood, and interestingly, those of you who are studying Genesis uh, in Sunday school, that word brood, you remember in the Genesis 1, that the brood over the waters, brooding over these waters, these chaos. And so this imagery, this brood comes together again. It's this beautiful way of of making these connections between Old Testament and New. This beautiful gospel that calls us today that says, yes, you can have it all. You can have compassion, safety, love, and knownness to be known. All it requires is what? Vulnerability. Vulnerability. Giving up control. Laying down pride. And that is our Lenten task. And we can't do it alone. We need every chick in here. And that was not a demeaning feminine term. (laughs) Amen.